This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, What Are You Pursuing? And it comes from Philippians 3, 12 through 21. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved to the 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Amazon or iTunes or Google or Spotify. We're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Well, as we pick back up today in chapter 3 of Philippians, I want to do a brief review, and then we'll jump right in. But if you remember, two lessons ago, we talked about our confidence in Christ. And right there in verse 4, 5, and 6, Paul starts talking about where his confidence is. Right there in verse 4, he talks about, he says, If anyone else thinks they have reason and confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I was part of the nation of Israel. Again, I had the heritage I was a tribe of Benjamin, and I was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He said that he was a Pharisee. He, was, he had zeal. He even persecuted the church. He was as righteous under the law, and he was blameless. But he said that his confidence, back in verse 3, was in Christ. It wasn't in the flesh. Even though he had all these characteristics, none of it mattered except his confidence in Christ. It wasn't in himself, in the flesh. And that's what we picked up last week. We said that, he said in verse 7, everything he gained, he counted loss for the sake of Christ. Everything he had was rubbish. We looked at that word right there. He says it's worthless. And then we wrapped up with verses 10 and 11 where he talks about the power of the resurrection. And by any means, he wanted to obtain the resurrection of the dead. By any means, whatever it took. He was going to leave it all on the field, as football players might say. I wrapped up by saying we do that by totally surrendering everything that is in us. And so that's what we wrapped up. And what we're picking up today is now, what are you pursuing? Here, we're going to see that Paul talking about the goal. And what is our goal? And that will be my first point. But before we get there, turn with me to Philippians 3. We're going to start in verse 12, and I'll be reading out the ESV. Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. As I said last week, we wrapped up with the power of the resurrection. And so the prize that Paul is talking about here, really he states in verse 11 that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, that I may be saved so that when I die, I may also live, is what Jesus said. Paul teaches us right here that we should be running towards a prize, and that prize is heaven. But if you look back with me at verse 12, you see that Paul says, not that I have already attained. See, Paul writes in a way that we would expect that he was already mature enough and he had enough purity. But he says that he has not conquered all the spiritual difficulties that were to come his way. That he was still working on his perfection, his sanctification. Paul reminds us that he was not perfect. There was only one perfect person, and that was Jesus Christ. And we have to be careful that we don't let the adversary let us stumble over this rock. Sometimes we as Christians compare ourselves to others, and we look down on them because maybe we go to church more. Maybe we read our Bible more. Maybe we pray more. Maybe we are more righteous than that person for whatever reason. But we're not perfect. There was only one perfect man, and it was Jesus Christ. And we need to remember and we need to look at Paul and see his humility. As Christians, we should be humble like Paul. And even though when we're saved, we are made righteous in God's eye over our sins, we're not perfect. We're not perfect in all our parts. And that is the part of sanctification that we talked about the last couple of weeks. But I like how Paul goes on after that statement that I'm not there yet. He says, I press on. See, Paul realized that he had not arrived, and so there was only one option that he pressed on, that there was no turning back for him, but that he went towards the prize. He went towards the finish line. This statement, I press on, makes me think of Luke 9, 62, where Jesus says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. What we should see from this is like Paul, understand that we're not perfect, But we're going to press on. We're not going to look back. We're going to look forward. We're going to refuse to look back. And we're going to put our hands to the plow and go. And then Paul finishes what he's pressing on. He says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. See, Paul was pressing on for what Jesus wanted. His effort was to go forward and do God's will, not his own will. Let me ask you today. Whose will are you really working? Is it your plan or is it God's plan? Paul will tell you he really worked his plan all the way up to the road to Damascus when he was knocked off his horse and he was blinded, but Jesus spoke to him. Paul repented and turned at that moment. And we see that. He no longer is about his agenda, but it's about what God wants him to do and where God wants him to be. What has God asked you to do that you've not done yet? Maybe you put it off because it doesn't fit your agenda. Maybe you're holding back because God's asking you to do something, but you're just saying either one, Lord, I don't think I'm the right person for it, or Lord, I can't do that. You don't understand. Whatever it is, God's asking you, and the question is, 
Are you pressing forward? Are you doing what God wants you to do like Paul did? Are you working on your own agenda? And really, Paul tells us how to do this. In verse 13, he says, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me. I strain forward. I press forward. I look at what lies ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize, the upper call of Jesus Christ. But now look at verse 15 with me. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So Paul says, first, if you're mature, if you're walking and you're maturing in the Lord, you're going to understand that there is a process of sanctification. You're going to understand that you haven't made it. You're not perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. And you're going to strive toward the prize. You're going to run the race. We'll study that more coming up in a few lessons. But you're going to run the race with the partnership of God, and you're going to run God's race, not your race. But then he says in the second half of verse 15 that, but if you don't think this way, if you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. The Holy Spirit will come knock on your heart. And some of you showed up today with God knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit saying, hey, this isn't about you. This isn't about your agenda. This is about what I've called you to do. Now, the other reason why Paul is saying this, you got to think back at the first century church. What we understand is not everybody agreed with what Paul was writing here. There were people that didn't agree about the Judaizers and them and him saying that you don't have to be circumcised. You are circumcised in the heart. We are the circumcision. And Paul hits those that are teaching a false doctrine right in the forehead. He says that if you've been brought to a spiritual maturity in Jesus, then you should share the same view with me. And then he's also saying, not only will God reveal this to you, but he's saying, if you disagree with me, until it's made clear to you, let's make sure we live up to what we've already attained. Now that phrase, let us live up to in the Greek, carries a sense of collective discipline. Everyone walking in the same road, by the same measures, like soldiers. So he's saying, take the view that I have just given you. Your works can't save you. Everything you used to pursue in life, everything you used to put your faith in, it's meaningless compared to Jesus. And if you are spiritually mature enough, you will agree with me on all this. And if not, that's okay, because Jesus will make it clear to you as you walk with him and you mature in him. But until that time, we all are going to move forward as one body. Together, we live up to the salvation we received in Jesus Christ, even when we don't agree on every single point. Now look what he says in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, I know Paul showed us humility, and now this almost sounds like arrogance. But what he's really saying, and what we should understand, it should be the goal of all of us. Whether we're a preacher, a church leader, or a Christian of any age, any condition, in any position, it should be our goal to pursue Jesus and be Christ-like and with such a devotion and dedication that we could call others to follow our life as an example. So what this really says is that Paul was trying to become as much like Jesus as was humanly possible in this lifetime, forgetting what was behind him and pursuing what was ahead of him. 
What he's saying here is to follow his example of setting aside the things of this world and pursuing a life that looks much like Jesus as possible. If you go look at that word imitate right there in verse 17, it really isn't a singular version of it. If you really go look at the Greek, it's a joint imitator. Rather than an imitator, like imitate me as Paul, it's imitate me as I'm trying to be like Christ and how Christ was. As I just said, this kind of sounds arrogant, but you have to understand that the Bible wasn't written at that time. And don't we do this today anyhow? Don't a lot of us try to imitate our pastor? Don't a lot of us look to other Christians and we try to live like they do? Aren't we discipled by broken human people? See, Paul isn't being arrogant here. He's saying, let me help you become a disciple. Let me help you respond correctly to the Holy Spirit so that you can be more like Christ-like as I'm trying to be Christ-like. Paul wants them to eventually understand they got to renounce their man-made righteousness just like he did, how he put it behind them. And they got to place their righteousness on the cross. They needed to allow the Holy Spirit to transform them so they could be more like Jesus. Now look what he says in verse 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. With tears, Paul is trying to show these readers and he's showing us that he had a love for even those that were teaching wrongly. Paul used to be a Pharisee and he still sees the Israelites as his family. It hurts him to see them as enemies of Jesus. And this goes back to the beginning of this little subsection, chapter 3. Paul says, beware of the dogs. You see, there are many people that it wouldn't be good for the Philippians to imitate. The truth is that there were those who did not honor Jesus with their lives, even in the church. And Paul is warning them against following the example of these people. They are enemies of the cross is what he says. These people don't preach the naked cross. They preach that salvation through the law, or they teach salvation plus the law. But if you remember what we studied two weeks ago was that it is the naked salvation. In other words, God did everything through Jesus Christ that we need. We don't have to follow the law. Now, the law helps us live a righteous life. Hopefully you remember in Romans 7 that I told you that God's law reveals our sin. The law was given to us to reveal our sin and our need for God. See, in verse 7 of chapter 7, it says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said so. You shall not covet. So Paul is saying that the law doesn't save us by keeping the law. It just shows us where we fall short and that we sin against God. Romans 3.20 tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our salvation and what Jesus did on the cross is the good news. But for us to understand the good news, we have to understand there are some bad news. The bad news is what I just told you, that each and every one of us will stand before God one day and we're going to fall short of his mark. And unless we've accepted Jesus as Lord of our life, Unless we've pleaded and believed on his finished work on the cross, that he was the perfect sacrifice, he overcame death, 
and that we commit to make him Lord. And that means that we chase after him. At that point, we are saved, but then we start the sanctification process. And that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, I'm not arrived yet. I'm not there. I'm not perfect. Even though God saved me, I'm trying to be better. And then he says, there are some you shouldn't imitate. And that's where we're at right here in verse uh, 18 and 19. But in verse 17, he said, imitate me, but don't imitate those guys because they're saying that it is salvation plus the law. If you look back at verse 18 and 19, because I'm quickly running out of time already, is that he starts describing them again. Remember up at the top, he called them dogs. Here he says, because they put their faith in their works, that God is in their stomach. A lot of commentators say what Paul is getting at right here is that it's around the food laws, that it was to be kept clean, it was to be made kosher. That was all traits of Judaism. Matter of fact, they were worshiping their cleanliness as holiness. So he uses the stomach as an example of them keeping their law, just like a pastor gives examples as he's teaching or preaching from the pulpit. But he also says that they take pride in their shame. They glory in their shame, which is really a reference to circumcision. Something that should be shameful or they're ashamed of, of mutilating their body, they take pride in. And what we need to understand, this is really a earthly thing or a fleshly thing versus a spiritual thing, a heavenly thing. These Judaizers and what false teachers point us back to our flesh. Make us feel good. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good, but does it line up with God's word? Is it what God tells us to do? This still applies to us because this is really about pursuing material and earthly goals versus pursuing Jesus and sanctification. Their attention is around pleasure and honor and their position as God's special people, being better than everyone else. Their confidence is in earthly things. And because Paul describes it this way, and it still applies and we can see it today, that should scare every one of us. This characteristic is what the enemy of the cross looks like. And that should be scary because we even see it in the church. How many profession Christians that you know are pursuing a worldly thing? How many people live only to acquire wealth or honor or to enjoy the pleasures of this world? Maybe you find yourself today guilty of pursuing earthly things. And before I get a bunch of emails and text and phone calls, let me just say there's nothing wrong with worldly things as long as we don't make it an idol, as long as it doesn't become the focus of our attention. God wants us to enjoy having a home. God wants us to have a car or multiple cars. God wants us to have plenty of food to eat. God wants us to live a comfortable life. But God doesn't want us to focus so much time that we deny him first place because we're focused on that particular comfort. And let me get to my final point today, which is that we are aliens of this world. Look at verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, really, to understand this two verses, you really need to understand Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony. Being a citizen of Philippi, you were automatically a citizen of Rome. 
And as a result, you shared all the rights and privilege of being a Roman citizen, even though most of the Philippians had never been to Rome or had never lived there. They were considered Roman citizens, and they took great pride in being Roman citizens. As we kicked this study off, I told you about one of the founders of this church that Paul brought, and now she was a main person in this church, was a wealthy woman called Lydia. And she made her wealth selling purple cloth, the color of the imperial Rome. Everyone in Philippi wanted to wear the colors of Rome, much in the same way that people today want to put a flag in their yard to show their patriotism. So Paul was appealing to the concept that we're already familiar with. They knew what it meant to be a citizen of the city you had never been to. I mean, you can summarize that they were on earth, even aliens. They dwelled in Philippi, but their citizenship was somewhere else in a city which the emperor and, the, and their king lived. The emperor was actually called the savior by Romans. So Paul chooses this term very specifically. And so Paul says, as Christians, you live here on earth, but you're actually a citizen of heaven. Now, you've not been there yet, just like you haven't been to Rome. And your Savior is Jesus Christ, not the King. And then he takes it one step further and he says that Jesus is coming back. Our Savior is coming back and he's going to transform our lowly earthly bodies into heavenly bodies like his. Through the power that was given to him because of his sacrifice and his humility that he went to the cross. And so the completion of the sanctification process was that we would get a heavenly body like Jesus. Now, Paul teaches on this. He teaches in multiple chapters, like we'll look at just in saying it, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. He teaches about a different body, that there is a distinct current body that we live in today, and the body that Jesus will give us will be a heavenly body. Paul calls it a spiritual body. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. So what Paul teaches us here, if there is a natural body, then there's going to be a spiritual body. And what Paul wants us to understand, he wanted this church to understand, is that that is the end goal of our sanctification process. The object or the goal is that we should be striving towards being like Jesus. We should try to resemble him in our moral character right in this world, in anticipation of being like him in the new world. And when we finally resemble him in all things, both his plan for us and his wishes for our soul, then eventually that will be fulfilled. So I think the message is clear. What Paul was telling this church, everyone needs to learn to set aside earthly things that they used to pursue, the things they once put their hope in, and they need to unite as a church, as a church body, as a church body in the spiritual realm, and they need to pursue Christ and his likeness. See, they are citizens of heaven now, and someday Jesus is coming back to claim his people and finish the work that he started in them. And if they don't agree, then let's just agree that we need to live in unity in the church. And along the way, if you're pursuing to be more like Christ, he's going to bring this and make this more clear to you. 
And so that's what Paul is telling this church at Philippians, and he's telling us. So how should we apply this to our lives? Well, first of all, we need to pursue transformation. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we don't allow the transformation of our mind and allow God to transform us, then we will never grow. We won't become more like Jesus. The second thing coming out of this is that we need to live a life that proves and validates the power of God to change lives. We should be living proof of the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform our lives. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world, a tower built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, we should let our light shine to the world. They should see what the Lord has done and how he's transformed us and he's transforming us. In Titus 2.7, it says, And everything set them an example by doing what is good. So what we need to do is live a life of integrity. We need to be serious and sound in our speech and not condemn, but build up others. And the last thing I think we need to do is live a life that is pursuing the resurrection. Paul says that we should pursue the power of the resurrection. We know that there is a resurrection because Jesus was resurrected. He was the proof of our hope. Paul wants us to understand that Jesus is coming back, that our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth, and that the Lord Jesus is coming back. He is going to transform us from our lowly bodies to that glorious body. Romans 6, 5 tells us that if we've been unified with him in death like his, we shall certainly be unified with him in a resurrection like his. So we should live to pursue a resurrection, the result of the sanctification process that we live out day by day. So let me finish up with this question then. What are you pursuing? There's so many distractions in the world around us, so many things to grab our heart, so many things for us to chase and pursue, so many things that promise happiness. But those things don't matter. Those things are not what God wants for us necessarily. Every Christian should live a life that is in pursuit of being more like Christ every day because we're a citizen of heaven. So what are you pursuing? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, right now, I, I thank you for this lesson. I thank you for this chapter. Lord, as we see that your finished work on the cross and what it means to us. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son and you give us a hope of a resurrection, that we'll be with you one day, that you're coming back for your church. Lord, I pray today for the one that doesn't know you. Lord, maybe they're not ready. Lord, I pray today they would fix that. Lord, they would pray and admit they're a sinner. Lord, they would, they would admit it and they would believe on your finished work on the cross. Lord, they believe on your overcoming death and being resurrected. And Lord, they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord and make you Lord of their life. And they would chase after you. Lord, I pray for the ones that have lost the focus of that our prize is heaven. That we press on towards that prize that we are to live a life that imitates you so others can see the proof of your work and your transformation in our life 
So they want that same thing, that it is a living testimony for you. Lord, I pray that we would understand that we are aliens to this world and we wouldn't get caught up chasing after and idolizing things in this world. Lord, I pray for the one today that may have shown up that has gotten away from you because they've gotten their eyes off of you and they've looked back at the world. They get so busy, they're chasing the things of this world that it started off innocent. It wasn't that they made it an idol, but over time it, it consumed them till it has become the number one thing in their life. Lord, I pray today, whoever this is, Lord, they'll lay it at your feet. They'll give it back to you and they'll chase back after that first love. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you for this radio station. And Lord, we pray a blessing over each and every one that is listening to us today. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.